0: Welcome to the Encourageous podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies, that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope everyone has had a wonderful time these past couple weeks. Since we have last met, I have with me today two ladies. I think this is the first time I've actually had two guests, so you guys are my inaugural duo here. Um, so, first, I want to welcome Terry. Can you just give us a quick bio about who you are?
2: Yes, I'm Terry Jones. I'm very proudly the president and co founder of Base Camp Children's Cancer Foundation here in Central Florida. I have two children right now 23 and 24. I had back to back children. Been in Florida since 1980, so I kind of consider myself a Florida girl.
1: Same here. I was born in Ohio. But I've been in Florida since 1998, so yeah, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm claiming myself as Florida too, so I'm right there with you.
2: And well, next- I moved I moved here from Ohio. I always joke that you have to go to Ohio to get to Florida. Oh,
1: that's so funny! Wow, <laughs> how did I did not know that. That's, uh, well, I guess you learn something new every day, right? <laughs> okay, and then next I have Miss Cindy. Cindy, would you give us a little quick bio about yourself?
3: Yes, I am Cindy Whitaker, and I am a programs director for Base Camp. And I also have two children. One is 21 and the other one just turned 26. And I've been married for 89 years. Um, (laughs) In human terms, that's like 33 years. And, you know, I've lived here, I think, since my mom moved to Miami when I was two. So I've definitely been here for a very long time. I've lived in Claremont. Um, I did not go through Ohio to get here, but I came from (laughs) New Jersey.
1: New Jersey. Okay. So you're transplant too. None of us were born here. That's good to know. So for anyone who hasn't tuned into this podcast before or had a chance to listen to my story, I have I did pretty pretty much the full story on a couple different episodes. Episode two with Jamie Underwood, who her son had pediatric cancer as well. And then episode fourteen, I kind of just share my story about how my daughter was born and everything. So but just a quick synopsis for anyone who hasn't been able to listen to those yet. I had a daughter, and she. her name is Kylie. She was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor, and then she did tons of surgeries and chemo and all the works, and unfortunately, it didn't work, and she passed away shortly in December. It was December 1st, 2011, and she was treated here at Arnold Palmer Hospital in Orlando, and that is where I interacted with these two wonderful women and their organization that they're with. So with September being Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, I thought what better time to have you guys come on here and talk about this organization that brings so much happiness into the lives of people who are affected with cancer. So can one of you just give a little quick explanation about what Basecamp is?
2: I would love to start. I What is now Basecamp actually started, I was working for Leukemia Society in 1982. I always say that with pride, we're now, 38 years old mm. and for 38 years we've been offering some level of comfort and joy we don't um, focus on research god bless the researchers in the world but i realized when i was at leukemia society that what people needed was a warm meal or a visit or uh, actually our very first program was attraction tickets i found out back in the day that if i wrote a letter on leukemia society letterhead I could get a family, any age patient into Disney World. And sometimes that's what people wanted, especially back in the 80s. There wasn't a lot of good news for kids or adults, and sometimes people just needed a happy day, and that's really what started what is now Base Camp, and we have a whole series of programs. You can imagine over the past six months, our programs have altered a bit, so we are always moving, always changing what we do, but for many years, our signature event was an overnight camp for kids with cancer and their brothers and sisters, so that's where the name Base Camp came from. Um, It's symbolic of the encampments that are built as you climb a mountain. And as you know firsthand, cancer is such a mountain that presents itself in your life. And you just need a group of people to help you to Mm. gather, to have a meal with, to have some kind of friendship with, and to move through this journey together. So we've just built this whole series of programs. And that's actually how I met Cindy. It's a good segue into how she came into the organization.
1: Yeah. And I think that's awesome because I think it's so cool when someone goes through something and then they help p- other people who are also now going through that. And that's kind of what you did, Cindy. So would you kind of just share your story about how you came to be involved with this two? In
3: 2004, April 12th, my son was diagnosed with a stage four brain cancer called medulloblastoma. And... As you know, you get thrust into this world, and you're really just taken off guard. You don't even know what to do. And I remember being in the hospital. And we had been there for three weeks, and Danny wouldn't eat. And it was because he was having radiation for the brain, neck, and spine. So. In essence, his esophagus was sunburned, for better lack of term, and he tried to eat it because it hurt. I remember telling him the doctors had come in and told us, listen, we're going to place a feeding tube. And I don't know why now it affected me so much. And I was like, oh my gosh, now he's going to have a feeding tube because he was actually 28 pounds when he gave me this talk. And he was bald and frail. And it's such a visceral reaction when you see a kid like that. And I just sat him down and I said, Danny, if you don't eat, They're going to put a feeding tube in. You don't want to eat, but what it is, they put a tube up your nose and then we like formula. He's like, like a baby. The child lifestyle man said, Cindy, you know, we have a group here called Base Camp and they brought lunch today. And if Danny could eat anything, what would he want? Um, And he said, I I would eat Chick-fil-A, of course. So he ate Chick-fil-A and the doctors, he would eat given something he wanted to eat because we were at Florida Children's, they were all vegetarian. And so Danny was not feeling any of that. And to me, it was so simple, yet so impactive. Mm. And then what happened was these overnight. Sometimes siblings can come, patients can't. My daughter and my son are four and a half years old. We walk in, as soon as we get there, Danny gets sick. And Amanda came up to me a little did you notice? I said, notice what, honey? Danny got sick at the overnight camp no one looked no one cared it broke my heart because I realized that my daughter although she didn't have the cancer she was so affected by it as well because she didn't want people staring at her brother she didn't want people asking her questions, and it just made what was so polarizing in our household you know it projected out into the world in her everyday life and I told her that's because everybody here has a brother or sister who does it or is sick so it's that's the new normal and for her she got to base camp and enjoyed lifelong friendships with people that really, when she got there, it was just Amanda, it wasn't Danny's sister. They're not asking her why he has a scar, they just were like, Hey, Amanda, and for her, that was a really big deal, and for our whole family. And when Danny finished, I said, I would love to come help, but I don't think I could be around the kids. And then I met this little boy named Jacob, and he was. When I first met him, he was so standoffish. He was a baby. And then by the time I had seen him four or five times, he had me singing. And he wanted me to play a little piano. And I thought, this is exactly what I need. To have something that is consistent, like base camp, is really important for families. Because they know what's going to happen. They know they'll have someone to talk to who has experience in what's going on. And they know we'll be there. We're saying we know you. Just like you're... I went to high school with your dad. Yep. <laughs> so that was very you know, different. And then that came around and I was like, wow, Jimmy, I never want to see anybody that I know in the hospital, but I'm so glad that we were able to be a small part of your life.
1: Yeah. I think that is so awesome, Cindy, because like I said, pretty much the whole point of this podcast is that people go through hard things in life. And I think there's something so beautiful and special about when they Take their pain and they help other people. And that's exactly what you did. So, in your case, Danny actually survived. So, can you talk a little bit about maybe how long he did treatment and how long he's been in remission, all that
0: good
3: chemo so, you- for about almost two years? He did six weeks of conformal radiation. So, it was brain, neck, and spine. And every day he had to be put under anesthesia, which was really hard for him. And he was real angry when he woke up. But a five year old is hilarious. And he just, you know, he kind of rolled with it. And I noticed, like they told us, if you do radiation, you know, you have a better chance of survival because if you don't, then there's a better chance of it coming back. To me, I felt like, what difference is if he's going to have these long-term effects if he's not going to be here to have them? So we opted in for radiation and he never relapsed, which is amazing. But I remember the doctor told me as he gets older, you'll really notice it because as kids get older, they're expected to be more responsible, obviously, because of becoming young adults. It could be because I'm very overprotective, and I feel like I think he can't do anything, and my husband thinks he can do everything, so there's a happy balance in there somewhere, but I do notice that he has trouble, but he's very smart, and when he concentrates, I think he does really well, so he finished up treatment almost at the end of 2005 when I started volunteering for base camp, and I volunteered full-time for a year what was really exciting I think for me and for families is that Danny has come back and volunteered many, many years with base camp. And for him, for parents, he's a symbol of hope. You know, I I have over the years, I was just talking about this to my brother-in-law. I felt guilty telling people Mm. he was doing, I didn't want anyone to feel like they, you know, that wasn't their case. That wasn't their scenario. And it made me feel really bad to say, oh, he's doing great. So for a while, I would down, especially with the people we went through treatment with, because they had lost their children. And I remember one day I told the mom, I need to come to the MRI because I feel terrible saying he's doing well. And she told me, but doing well made my daughter's death not as bad, because I know that some kids are making out of it. And so for me, I feel like it's a powerful thing. Especially for Danny to come back because that's what people have told me. Wow, you know, this makes me so happy. And I've had moms hold him because I feel like they're in the beginning and it's so scary and you don't know what's going to happen. And you have all these thoughts and just to have something that you can look at and tangibly hold and say, this could be us.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I don't know if you all, when Kylie was doing treatment, there was a little boy named Dominic.
2: He was probably about 10, eight or 10 then. He's a teenager.
1: I know. I, I actually just recently, I think it was last year, I got a random friend request from his dad. And I was like, Oh, yes, because it's always there's like you said, Cindy, you, you almost have this like special connection with the people that you went through that with because no one else in the world understands. And I remember when Dominic was doing his treatment, he had this thick, thick, thick black head of hair. And of course, with the chemo, he lost all of his hair. And one of the things I remember we were I think base camp had just brought lunch. And so we were, all the parents were kind of sitting in there talking. And the thing that we were talking about, Oh, what is his survival rate versus like our daughter? We were kind of just, you know, talking about like, Hey, what is, what is your journey going to look like? And he said something that I thought was so profound. He said, all those statistics don't matter. It's a, Oh, 10% chance of survival or this. He goes to me, it's a zero or a 100. Either they're not going to survive or they're going to survive. So he's like, and we're going for a hundred. So luckily in Dominic's case, he did. And unfortunately for Kylie's, we had the other result, but something I want to say is that we didn't have, well, I guess we did, but we chose not to do the radiation because children under four who do radiation end up having permanent, permanent brain damage. They, Mm. some of them can't walk, they can't talk, they become vegetables. And so kind of the adverse of your experience, Cindy, was that we were like, what's the point of having her here if she's just going to be a vegetable? That's not a quality of life. I mean, of course, looking back, I'm like, now maybe I wish I kind of wouldn't have done that because at least we would have had her. But at the same time, that's not inequality of life. I mean, she was only a year and a half. Right. And that would have been her entire life. You know, and she- we've
2: seen that. We've seen that happen um, where parents did choose that radiation so young. And I've seen it in several cases. And it is heartbreaking. Kids oh, yeah. live five years. Um, they ultimately still lose their journey, but it's a horrible quality of life for everybody. And it's, I don't know. I mean, God bless you and every parent that has to make that decision. It's just heartbreaking. But I think that's why the doctors tell people if kids are under four and Danny was right at that border, you know, he was over five. So, and, and their outcome was so different and it was proven. And I have seen three-year-olds and four-year-olds get total brain radiation and end up with that horrible outcome that you avoided, but it's a horrible outcome either way. That's what, you know, as we're talking, I just keep thinking of the statistics and how many kids we've seen. Um, Central Florida right now has over 1,000 children between the three children's hospitals, Arnold Palmer, Advent Health, formerly Florida Hospital, and Nemours Children's Hospital. It never ceases to blow me away at the numbers, the sheer numbers of children. And I know parents don't like the word that it's rare. As a cancer, childhood cancer is rare, but it doesn't feel very rare when there's a thousand children in our community. It's just a numbers game. You know, I always tell people there's 1.4 million people get cancer in America every year and around 15,000 are, are, to 16,000 are children, which is, it is one, you know, it's it's a low number but it doesn't feel very low when you're in the middle of it. It has never felt very low to me. When I first started at Leukemia Society, you know, I would talk to a parent who had, and I had never met a child who had cancer. And I think Cindy says the same thing. She had never met a child with cancer until her own child had cancer. And it's just, you know, that's why we created these Sometimes I feel like we have silly programs You know, we had attraction tickets and overnight camps and parties. And I had a dad yell at me one time for planning a Christmas party because a da- his daughter had just been diagnosed with cancer and he was angry and sad. And I understood it, but I told him, I said, I don't know what else to do. I don't, I can't cure it. I can't change the fact that this has happened to you, but I can dang sure, you know, have a party and, have a little bit of fun for an hour or five minutes or something.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, um, we've had so many, like we do Christmas in July and we've had families that that was their family photo. And thank God we did that. And I tell Terry all the time, we have these days where if you never do another thing in your life, it's the best day of your life because you affected someone directly and you really got to see that. Um, And I know that we affect people's lives in a positive way, but sometimes, you know, a kid will just say, I love you. And to me, it's like through all this crap that they have to go through, that they can find joy every day. And a lot of times they are the ones inspiring their parents to keep going. And then when we have these days where, you know, you know, this, it's the worst day ever. And you feel like what, you know, what is what is this party going to do? But the party brings joy to people. It gives them something to look forward to. It gives a kid in the hospital, okay, I'm going to eat this food and I'm going to drink my drink because I know if I do that, I'll get out and I'll get to go to a party with my brothers and sisters. And so that is a big deal that makes such a difference in families' lives.
1: Yes, that's awesome. And I actually, um, that kind of segues perfectly into one of the other questions I had was that children with cancer, I think sometimes deal with it better than even the adults. Because one of my cousins works, she did a stint in pediatric oncology. Because of my daughter, she, watching us go through that, that's actually what inspired her to become a nurse. And now she's a nurse. So it's really cool to see that come full circle. And she said, dealing with adults and then dealing with children, the adults, she's like, the adults whine about everything. And they're like, oh, I don't feel good. And the kids, like, they're throwing up. And then they're like, no, I'm okay. I don't need anything. So I sometimes I feel like they're the toughest humans on the entire planet. So can you talk about some of your favorite stories that you guys have just from, you know, these little warriors that you guys have come in contact with? You can each share, you know, whatever your favorite one is.
2: I always like to speak the names of the first five teenagers who I feel I have counted them as my co-founders. Um, John Lovejoy was a 16-year-old that was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia. And these this was all in the early 80s, 82. <laughs> And he had a speech impediment, but he is who inspired me to gather this group of teenagers. And they just wanted to be normal. They wanted to go bowling. They wanted to go to the movies. They just, he wanted to form a group that he felt a part of. And Tracy Beauchamp was a 12 year old who had had Wilms' tumor since she was two and a half years old. And Robert Pringle was a, a 17-year-old who just wanted to graduate from high school. These were all kids that either went to Arnold Palmer. Actually, John Lovejoy was treated at Florida Hospital as an adult. When I met him, he really thought he was the only kid with cancer. But when his mom found our then Candlelighter's parent support group, it changed their journey. It did not change the outcome of his journey, but it changed his journey. And um, Michael Johnston, who was a 14-year-old with rhabdomyosarcoma that just wanted to play soccer. And my fifth kid is still the survivor, and this really proves those statistics. Today, four out of five children will survive. Back then in the 80s, four out of five children succumbed to the disease. And my long-term survivor is Jeff Fares. Hopefully, we'll we'll remind him to listen. He is now a 40-something year old, and I met him. He lost his leg to bone cancer when he was 10. And he was one of those kids that, you know, did have a good outcome back then. And I know that, like Cindy, sometimes you wonder, why me? Either way, why me? And we are so honored to have him and his little sister still be a part of base camp today. And it's incredible for me to know them. And I I've always said kids with cancer, it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, what comes first, the bravery, or were they chosen for this journey? Were they chosen to teach us all these life lessons because they are so resilient. They are so amazing. And I know Cindy knows a hundred kids and I, I can't, ever mention the braveness of anybody without mentioning Marley. Marley was one of the most effective journeys that I ever saw. At eight years old, she had been diagnosed, I think that she was three. She was on her fifth or sixth occurrence. And those are the ones that we have another little girl right now, Addie, that's on her eighth occurrence. She is eight years old. She has been on this journey since she was three. And they just keep having to try something new and do something else and it's just amazing to me how families get through this journey But like you said kids are like hey what what are we doing today I tell people all over the years I used to quit every Friday I would say I cannot do this anymore and then I would a kid would call Back in the day, now we see them. And when you were talking, I was thinking about just recently, you know, we just get a little burnt out. This coronavirus has really kicked our behinds. Not being able to see people, not being able to go to the hospital. But right before this all happened, I walked into Florida hospital one day delivering bagels or lunch or something. And a little boy said, I know you. I went to your party last year. I got a bicycle. That was the best party I ever went to. And he just went on and on. And I thought, he was what i needed that day to lift me up and that's what cindy said these kids are just resilient you walk in and she's heard me say a hundred times i feel like an idiot sometimes walking in with a cheeseburger but that's what people want they're like wow we were so hungry we've had moms hug us and cry and say i didn't know where my next meal was coming from i wasn't even thinking and here we are when we deliver something and i think cindy and i feel the same way that It's like hitting that grand slam when you can give somebody what they need when they need it. Mm. It is just incredible. And the kids give us that right back. Yeah.
1: It's funny. They mentioned Marley because there were several kids on the floor who kind of went through the journey with us. And Marley was one of them. So my daughter, for anyone who doesn't know, she spelled, we spelled her name K-A-I-L-E-E. So everybody, Kaylee, Kaylee. And we're like, it's Kylie. So I remember, (laughs) um, There was one day we went into the little, there was like a playroom on the floor and the kids were painting. And so Kylie did her first little painting and we hung it up on the door and Marley walked over and she says, is her name Kylie? And I was like, yes, you're the first person to ever pronounce her name right. Who like didn't know her. And she was just the sweetest little soul. I just always had a smile on her face. Always, you know, just the sweetest little person and the. I think part of the reason she knew how to spell Kylie's name was because her middle name was Kai. Her name was Marley Kai. So I will never forget that little sweetheart. And this, I just, I'm thank you for mentioning her because she, her Dominic, and then another little girl who actually got diagnosed the same day as Kylie. Her name was Gabby. Gabby actually passed away. Kylie passed away December 1st, and then Gabby passed away December 31st. So, and then Marley passed away on December 31st that same year, too. So that December, I can't even. Describe that was literally the most terrible like like you said, Cindy, it's like you're going through the most you have some of the best days like where I remember one time when Kylie did her surgery, they took out the tumor and we they got ninety seven percent of the tumor. So we really thought like we're you know this is great. We went out to lunch and like we had like this whole big family dinner. We were so excited. so you have some of the best days and then it also is in tandem with also some of the worst days where, you don't think they're gonna make it and then they pull through and so you get back another high and then it just drops. So that's something that, like you said, Basecamp and Parker's Pals, other organizations that were there for us, just to have someone who kind of knows your journey and is there with you is super, super powerful. So thank you guys for all that you did and are still continuing to do. I'm, I can't even imagine how many other families you guys have helped with this. Um, and then we, Cindy, do you wanna share some of your favorite stories?
3: have so many but I think one of them vividly probably because we're making a quilt for his mom Mackenzie. this kid Mackenzie Constantine he was a teenager and he you know lost his arm but when we would do overnight camps he was still like he's in the pool macking on the girls with his one arm around the girls and thought, is <laughs> he is totally macking out on these girls like I said these kids we see obstacles they see past them. They're happy to be alive. Like Jacoby, you know, he was so sweet and he had hepatoblastoma. And you know, he was a baby and he didn't make it either. While he was here, every single time I saw him, he was smiling and happy. And I mean for me, it is a definitely a life lesson that you shouldn't sweat the small stuff because there are so many bigger things going on than we know about. Marley had the wherewithal as a seven-year-old to say, these are the things I want, but what I don't want is to finish this. This treatment is making me sick. I can't enjoy myself. And that goes back to quality of life. She asked about stopping treatment because when she was home from the hospital, she was constantly getting sick and not being able to enjoy herself. So she said at the year of eight, I want pancakes in a hotel suite. I want a pizza party. I want to ride a city bus. And thank God her family made them happen. And she was so happy that last year. But there's so many stories like hers. I don't want to say one or the other because they're all great. And, you know, every moment we share with them and we're able to be with their families is a blessing to me. And it really solidifies my choice to join Camp and my my being a cancer survivor's mom, because like I said, for years, I felt so guilty and it wasn't that I felt guilty that Danny was alive. It was that I felt guilty that his, many of his peers weren't. And I just am grateful to Terry. I love her. She, I could listen to her talk about the kids all day because she had such great stories because back when we first started base camp, there weren't all these other organizations, you know, there weren't a lot of heavy child-focused organizations. It was more about the research and what we can do as an organization to assist the family, but it wasn't getting to know a kid, knowing they have a dog and two sisters and that you've met them all and they've all been bowling together. Those kind of things throughout the years, if you ask the kids what their favorite memories are, it is the lunches. It is the overnight camps. And lunches for me are a big deal because it's the basic thing. But It gets kids up. Oh, we have Shake Shack, we have Pizza Hut. It offers families food when they can't afford it. It gives them a reason to get out to meet other families. So that lunch isn't just being served as lunch; it's being served as a whole, you know, wraparound care because we're getting people to get up and get to know each other and really be supported by the people who know exactly what they're going through. So I'm so appreciative of Basecamp. It changed my life in so many great ways. It made me a better mother. You know, cancer diagnosis was terrible, but it did make me a better wife and a better mother. It made me focus and hone in.
1: It puts things in perspective. It just changes everything in your life. And it, you know, I'm I'm thankful for the friendships that I've been able to make through this and just to kind of connect with other survivors and just kind of, you know, it's, it's really a cool journey just to be able to kind of say, Hey, you know, I understand what you went through because I went through the same exact thing. If there's someone listening to this podcast right now whose child has cancer, what encouragement can you guys offer them?
2: Well, I think to reach out and especially during this time of this craziness that's going on in the country. And that's what we've mentioned. We are still delivering lunch to the kids, but I, I don't know what's happening in the hospitals. I'm sure the social workers and the life people are trying to connect people, but with people trying to social distance, I think it's got to be the toughest time. I know Cindy is part of a group, there's a momcology group, that at least people can connect online and can find somebody on their similar or same journey. I know that's also a dangerous thing because there's a lot of sad news out there. So you have to be careful what you listen to, what you hold on to. I know Cindy was one of the ones that educated me in the beginning about support. groups they're kind of a 50-50 gamble you can go there and you can hear uplifting stories or you can hear other people's sad stories and you take that to heart it's so hard but I do think that people need to reach out and and have a, a support system we have seen parents who have such great support systems, they have great families, they have great churches, they have great neighborhoods, and then we see other families that are so isolated during this journey. We are continuing to deliver lunch through the Child Life staffs at Advent Health and at the Moors, and we hope that that is still giving those people, the outside knowledge that they are still having a food pantry every Friday. We have a drive through food pantry. So we're still trying to help people. And we would encourage people to reach out to Basecamp, uh, basecamp.org website. We have an app now where you can see what's going on. Just reach out to somebody. Cindy is available to even just be a mom to talk to. That's what Candlelighters, which is our parent organization now, American Childhood Cancer Organization in the United States, there's still Candlelighters of Canada, Candlelighters of the UK. It is a whole group of parents who have kids with cancer literally all over the world. And even if your child has something very rare, Cindy mentioned hepatoblastoma. I've only known four patients in 38 years to have that disease. So that's the best advice is to find somebody to talk to. I know that a lot of moms have a hard time with their current friends. I hear it, especially now, that kids are again, socially isolated. And even the friends who are getting to go back to school or who are um, still going to a birthday party here or there, our kids are double isolated because of their immune-compromised positions. So they really need to get out there and find a group, online group to belong to.
1: Yes, I love that. I know that coronavirus is something that people who are immune-compromised, obviously a child with cancer even before coronavirus was very susceptible to things. So it's definitely, I can't imagine how hard it's been on those families. I'm grateful that when we went through it, it was, you know, at least not during a pandemic. So we were lucky for that. But ladies, thank you so, so, so much. I am so grateful, like I said, for all that Basecamp does. And I love the work you do and I hope you will continue to do it forever. So thank you very much and have a good day. I can't
2: wait to get back up and running where we can have people at our office. We have a little house a little office in Winter Park where we are um just antsy to get back every Friday night we would have a party so kids could meet and parents could have a break and those are the things we're looking forward to. This virus, like I said, has really put a damper in our style. <laughs> but yeah. we are trying to get and if anybody has any suggestions how we can help them, please reach out to us. I always say we can't promise, but we can try. Yes. Well, that sounds great. Thank you, ladies, and have a good
0: day. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous.